Good morning. Good morning. As Jordan made the introduction, yes, we are candidating here, and, uh, and we wanted to say thank you on behalf of the Sobitz family uh, just for bringing us out here and giving us the opportunity uh, to be served by you and even to serve you through preaching this morning. Um, we heard your reputation even before we came here, so it, there was a little bit, yeah, uh-oh. Uh, the sermon for today... We, we know some of the same people, and, and they know you, and they spoke very, very highly um, of your leadership, of the elders, of the congregation, and everything that we've, you know, that we heard has been confirmed through meeting you guys and being able to worship with you, um, and that's an encouragement for us to see that in this little small town uh, in Leavenworth, Washington, the Lord is being worshipped. The Lord is being worshipped, and, and that's... That was, that's been good for our heart to see. So, so again, just thank you. Um, as he was making the introduction, uh, our youngest daughter, Mary, uh, goes, I thought Daddy was preaching today. So <laughs> I, my wife told me I can't tell any more jokes, so that's it. Uh, today's passage is from 1 Timothy 1, uh, verses 12 through 17. The title of the sermon is called, A Heart Filled with Worship. 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17. The Apostle Paul writes, I give thanks to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me, because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man, I received mercy, because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But I received mercy for this very reason, so that in me the worst of them Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary and perfect patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now, to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, let me pray for us. Uh, Heavenly Father God, Lord, we, we, we pray that your word Lord, uh, would, that you would create worshipers this morning, God, that the reason you sent your son in order to die for us, for our sins, God, in our place and give us his righteousness, Lord, God, it wasn't just so that we would be forgiven, but that so we would worship the true living God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord. And the only way that we can become true worshipers is if we believe this trustworthy saying that is full and deserving of acceptance, God, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save us. God, help us love Christ more, not just with our words, but also with our life, God, in private and in public. We ask this to the glory of Jesus' name. Amen. So just a summary uh, leading up to this passage, prior to verse 12 here in 1 Timothy, 
Paul began his letter commissioning Timothy to ministry in Ephesus. He charged Timothy to correct the false teachers by instructing them to stop teaching false doctrine. He warned Timothy they want to be teachers of the law, but they do not understand what they are trying to teach. Therefore, put an end to it. (laughs) And then he tells Timothy, yeah, but do it in love. How do you command someone to stop teaching false doctrine in love? Now Paul tells Timothy, he actually says, do it in this way by correcting them from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And, and once those are in place, Timothy, once, once your posture of heart is there, a pure heart, a good conscience, sincere faith, then and only then, then instruct them not to teach anything contrary to sound doctrine, especially the glorious gospel of our blessed God. And throughout the rest of his letter to Timothy, Paul is going to give specific instructions how the ministry and leadership of the local church should function how God intends it to function. But the passage I read from this morning, beginning in verse 12 through verse 17, Paul just breaks momentarily from this commissioning and these instructions to take time remembering his own commissioning by Christ to gospel ministry. And then he recalls the mercy and grace he too received from the Lord. And it's those two realities, the being commissioned into gospel ministry and uh, him receiving the same mercy and grace from Lord Jesus Christ that conclude this passage in worship. That's what verse 17 is. It's doxology. It's worship. The truth of who God is and the truth of what God has done leads Paul to worship him. I would... I would venture to guess that this portion of Paul's letter, it served Timothy as a helpful reminder how to kindle the fire in his heart should that light ever grow dim. It would also serve as the foundation pertaining to what Timothy or all ministers should center their ministry around. Mainly, our love for Christ. Because like Paul, it's, it's, it's going to be Timothy's personal love for Christ that results in faithful gospel ministry. I realize as I keep saying Timothy, my name is Timothy. There's a lot of comparison. You know, as I thought about what passage to preach and was praying through it, uh, you know, just, as, just so you know, as I candidate, how I preach is typically about 80% expositional, so book by book verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and about 20% topical. So preaching on certain doctrines or certain issues. And uh, Colossians took me eight months one time, and that's only four chapters. So I do give some breaks in the Psalms and Proverbs. And yeah, we, so, but uh, this, this passage was, as I was just reading through, uh, God's word was put on my heart. So um, when I say Timothy, I'm speaking of, Timothy in first century A.D. that Paul was writing to. Our love for Christ, that, that is the foundation and what we should center our ministry around. That's how truly our ministry will thrive and survive. 
It's our personal love for Christ. But that's not just true for ministers, right? That's true for Christians. That's true for all of us. It doesn't matter if you're the one preaching the sermon or delivering the mercy meal or greeting at the door. Your love for Jesus is going to become evident to all of the people that you encounter. And your, in other words, if you worship Christ in your personal life, that's going to become evident as a public display to those you meet. Jacob said on the trail yesterday that we've been created to worship and that is at the heart of my ministry is I don't create worshipers, right? God creates worshipers through the death of His Son and the power of His Spirit. That's what we've been created to do. And as I think he said this too, we're going to worship something, Right? It's either going to be we worship God or we're going to worship something else. My hope in this sermon is that we would choose the object of our affection to be set on Christ. And that God would grant us hearts filled with worship. That's it. That's man. Whew. Okay. That was easy. Good. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, I'll take a sip of water on that note. Okay, there we go. That's... All right, point one. Finding joy in Christ. So, so back to verse 12. Paul writes, I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry. What's going on here is it's as if the joy of Paul commissioning Timothy to the ministry of the gospel has rejogged Paul's memory back to when Christ first appointed him to service. Now, and if you've been in the church for a decent amount of time, you know the joy of commissioning our loved ones to gospel ministry. I think it's one of the greatest Christian experiences for our fellowship is when we say goodbye to those who have obeyed a call to go to the nations to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our, our church, where we are currently members at, in Florida, we just experienced this last week. We said goodbye to a family that the church had grown to love for years. And soon they will begin a nine-month training in Mexico which will be followed by them being sent to an unreached people group overseas. It's sad to say goodbye. It is. And while, but while it's sad to say goodbye, their commitment to sell their house, to give away all their possessions, leave the glorious beaches of the Tampa St. Pete area, it was a helpful and necessary reminder not just to me, but to the whole congregation regarding why would anyone give up all their earthly possessions and leave those beautiful beaches in order to follow Jesus? They did it, and we do it, because he's worth it. He's worth giving up everything. It's, it's one of the reasons we love reading missionary biographies because their sacrifice as missionaries reminds us that there is no sacrifice too great that we can make for the one who sacrificed himself for us. 
It's precisely what an unbelieving world has yet to discover. They have not yet come to the realization that there is no worldly possession compared to the glory that is found alone in Christ Jesus. As Paul made clear in Romans 1, instead of worshiping their Creator, they set their hearts on created things. Creation is beautiful, but He created it. He's more beautiful than His creation. Now, I think it's easy to point that out in unbelievers, but we too, as Christians, should examine our own hearts by asking, do I believe there's no substitute for Jesus? Am I, or am I being captivated by something other than my God? I, I should rephrase it. Am I being held captive by something other than Christ? I think if we're honest, at least I know if I'm being honest, I would have to confess there are times that my heart is prone to wander. We are prone to leave the God we love. In fact, I think that's why we love to sing Come Thou Fount so much when sing those verses uh, specifically in that song. Now, haven't you ever found that part of the song when the church is singing it? That, that is so, so intriguing and even more fascinating is when we get to that part and all of a sudden we sing louder in unison about being prone to leave the God we love. Why do we get louder? Because we can relate to it. We know that there's temptations every single day in our life that want to pull us away from our love of God. And I think that is precisely why we have to follow that up with, oh, to grace, how great a debtor. That's what Paul is doing in this passage and what he's about to do in this passage. He's about to tell us how great a debt, how to grace, how great a debt Christ paid. I think there is a point of application if you find yourself in the same predicament today or even down the road, allow me to suggest at least one, one point of application. In other words, if you find you're wandering from the Lord right now or down the road you find yourself wandering from the Lord, resolve to give up whatever is captivating you away from Christ, and do it aggressively. Become a Puritan in holiness. Turn away or turn down whatever has led you to believe that you cannot find joy in Christ without it, whatever that is. And, and, and if you can't arrive to that resolution, to make that your resolution, then Continue daily to fill yourself with the Word of God until the Spirit of God convinces you that He is greater and that you can give up anything because Christ is worth it. He, the Spirit does that, and He does that by convincing us through the Word of God, and He convinces us that Christ is greater than anything and anything we can imagine. I mean, biblically speaking, it's one of the ministries or main ministry of the Holy Spirit, right? He came to glorify Christ. 
And he does that in us by convincing us through the word of God that he's greater. Timothy, now I'm speaking to myself. Timothy, turn down that trash. Turn to Christ. Flee this world. Run to Christ. And he'll, he, if we devote ourselves to God's word, he will convince us of his magnificent works and his excellent greatness. And then, point two. Our love for Christ will result in faithfulness. Still in verse 12. Paul says, Jesus appointed me to the ministry, or, or, or to sum it up, Jesus appointed him to ministry because of his love for Christ. I mean, look at verse 12 with me. He considered me faithful. Paul was completely sold out to Christ. And his love for Jesus was the basis for his faithfulness to him. That's the type of person we want in ministry, right? Now, Paul doesn't say that he was chosen to be an apostle because of his God-given abilities. Instead, he said he was appointed as an apostle because of his faithfulness. That should be the focal point of the church, not just this church, but any local church affirming their leaders. I mean, don't get me wrong. In no way, shape, or form should we discount the ability to teach as a qualification for being an elder. If you're going to shepherd people, you have to be able to know the Word of God and at least point them in the right direction. But that, if, if you read the qualifications, it's the only biblical qualification that has anything to do with ability. Every other qualification has to do with his character. Is he beyond reproach? Is he a one-woman man? Is he quarrelsome? Is he a drunkard? We'll just, we'll just sum it up. Is he faithful? And Paul told Corinth the same thing in his first letter in chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Paul tells Corinth, so then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ, okay, ministers of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God. That's the gospel revealed through the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. And then verse 2, listen. Paul says, now it is required of stewards that they be found faithful if we want to determine if 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 we're having a successful ministry or even if you're you're leaving a worthy legacy the the, the question paul says that we need to ask is are we faithful i mean if you think about when christ returns what are we looking forward to hearing well done my good and faithful servant. I, I, I think the difficult part for the church, the local church, believing success is based on, faith, on faithfulness instead of tangible or visible or growth or numbers of those types of results is because faithfulness does not always tend to feel successful. Sometimes being faithful results in suffering. Suffering was a staple of Paul's ministry. That's why we read Acts 9 this morning. In Acts 9, following the conversion of Paul, the Lord says to Ananias in verse 15, Go, Paul is my chosen instrument to carry my name. 
before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. And then verse 16, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. There's some encouragement to get into ministry, isn't there? I mean, imagine using suffering as the main headline for calling your next elder. Cornerstone, come suffer. I, I, I do say it jokingly, and, and I have to put this out, because even though Paul went through tremendous suffering, and you can read about that through his letters, suffering I don't think any of us have ever, have, maybe you have gone through, sorry, I don't want to say that, but that's, that's some participation in suffering. But in verse 12, he actually thanks Jesus for calling him into ministry. He thanks him. He didn't care about the suffering. The momentarily suffering Paul went through was nothing in comparison to the joy he found in Christ. And his love for Christ was demonstrated by his faithfulness to him. And the same will be true for us. If we truly love Christ, it will work itself out in obedience and faithfulness. Verses, or we'll move on to the third point, because verses 13 through 16, it reveals that Paul's love for Christ went much deeper than just his calling into ministry. So if you haven't been able to relate to, to ministry as much, then we can all relate to this. And point three is we are trophies of God's grace. Verse 13, Paul says, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate His extraordinary, perfect, whatever translation you have, His extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in Him for eternal life. Paul was a trophy of God's grace. Now, we're going to see that because I want us to examine Paul's testimony. That's what Paul's doing. He's sharing his testimony. I want us to look at that for a moment because the passage, Paul actually says in verse 16 that he wants his testimony to be used for our benefit. In verse 13, he says, I was arrogant. Now, Paul was a religious man full of pride. That's one of the most dangerous types of people on this entire planet. I was a blasphemer, Paul says. I spoke evil against the Son of God. I was a persecutor. We read it in Acts 9. And Paul, Paul said, I stood before the stoning of Stephen with approval. I nodded as the stones brought him to his death. And after that, I traveled to, Dism to Damascus in order to persecute more followers of Christ. I was arrogant. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor of the church of the living God. But, it's a big but, but 
I received mercy. Verse 14. And the grace of the Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I received mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. And Paul deserved God's wrath. (laughs) Arrogant, blasphemer, persecutor. He deserved the wrath of God, but he says, God chose to spare me. I received mercy. And then he goes on to say, but not only did I receive mercy, I also received grace. Now, if mercy is not getting what we deserve, then grace is getting what we don't deserve. It's unmerited favor. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. It's just given to you as a gift. And Paul says God chose to do something for Paul that he was unable to do for himself. And let's put ourselves in Paul's shoes real quick. Not only was Paul unable to do it for himself, none of us were able to do it for ourselves either. As Paul could not wash his sins away or get rid of his sins or work off the debt he owed, neither can we. And that puts us in a predicament. And in verse 16, which is it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, this passage is actually one of my favorite passages. I've never preached it before. This is the first time. And I wanted to preach it because of my love for it. And, and I specifically love verse 16 because Paul tells us why God spared him. Look at verse 16. He says, I receive mercy. Who received mercy? Paul did. So that in me, so that in Paul, the worst of sinners, so he's claiming to be the worst of sinners, just like he did in verse 15. I receive mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example. I'm an example of God's grace. I'm an example of God's mercy. to those who would believe in Jesus for eternal life. Have you ever shared the gospel before and heard someone say, I just can't believe that Jesus would die for someone like me? I understand you believe that. I believe that he forgave your sins. But when I search my heart of hearts, he's not going to forgive my sins. They're just too awful. I actually used to believe that myself. I believed Jesus died and rose again, but I didn't believe Jesus died for me. And, and that's one of the reasons I love this verse. Because at one point it reminds me of my silliness when I was a teenager. I actually wanted to get 1 Timothy 15 tattooed across my stomach. And I didn't even understand what it meant. I just related to being the worst of sinners. But the reason I love this verse in verse 16, probably would have been better to get that tattooed as well. The word of God here in verse 16, it actually anticipates sinners coming to the same conclusion of saying, there's just no way Christ would die for me. 
It knows that people are going to say that. And so in verse 16, the Apostle Paul removes any excuses by telling Timothy, look, God is willing to forgive any sinner who repents and believes in his son, Jesus. And the reason I know that is because God chose to save me, the worst of sinners. So there's nobody who can say, but God wouldn't save me because I'm the trophy of God's grace to say, yes, he will, and he is able. That's the sufficiency and the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. He didn't just die for Paul. He died for any sinner who would come to repent and believe. I don't know if you remember this commercial or not. There used to be uh, one for men's balding. And I, I don't remember the brand or the specific brand, but the president of the company would come on the end of the commercial just to convince us the product worked. And he would always say in this closing line, I'm not only the president of the company, but I'm also the client. That's the point of verse 16. Paul says, Timothy, my true son in the faith, I don't just preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, too, am a recipient of God's grace. He's a trophy of God's grace. And loved ones, in case you haven't realized it yet, so are you if you have received the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ our Lord. Sure, we can't save ourselves, and sure, we can't work off our debt. But the blood of Jesus Christ will erase it for us. So I just want to finally consider who God is, what He has done, so so that that knowledge, just as it does for Paul, with that knowledge of who God is and who and what He's done should filter through our heart and pour out into praise and adoration because that's, that's what happens by Paul recalling this and, and sharing his testimony. It leads him to worship. So our final point is our theology should lead to doxology. Our knowledge of God should lead to us worshiping Him. If our knowledge of God doesn't lead us to worshiping God, it's incomplete. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. If it seems like just a weird verse after all of that, it's because it is. He's just, what he's just written to Timothy has just moved his heart to, to praise God. I, I have to... You know, I wanted to preach this, and I was excited to preach this text, because I've always, well, since I was saved, I've always thought of it as a solid gospelized sermon. It's a solid gospelized passage of Scripture. And and as I studied it this week, I guess for the first time, I, I realized Paul doesn't actually mention the cross of Christ or his resurrection. He just says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So as, as I got to this final point, I thought, oh, I better at least address that for a moment and expound on that. What He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, but save us from what? 
Well, same thing Paul was saved from. The wrath of God. We sang it in a song today in the hymn. The wrath of God was satisfied. You see, we, we may not have sinned like Paul, but nevertheless, the Word of God says all of us have sinned and fallen short. And goes on to say that the wages of our sin is death. Which means, like Paul, we too deserve God's justice. Yet, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. To save us from God's wrath. And that is why we preach Christ crucified. Because as Christ died on the cross, He satisfied. He paid in full the debt that we owed God. The sinless blood of Jesus Christ paid it in full. It's like going into... I went and got schnitzel yesterday. I love schnitzel. But I was told, here's the best schnitzel, but it's a little pricey. It was a bit pricey. It was good. It was delicious. Can you imagine if you've ever gone into a restaurant, especially if you have a large family, a family of five or something, those, those bills, they accrue some serious debt, right? And I, I, mean, I feel like any dad can identify looking at that debt and be like, whew, goodness. Well, if we, if we imagine that that debt is all of our sins in life, and we stand before a righteous and holy God and say, oh, I can't afford this debt. I can't pay this debt off. That's where Christ Jesus comes in and says, I'm going to pay that debt for you. You can't pay that debt, but I want to pay it for you. And he paid it with his blood. The cross is where the innocent died for the guilty. Where the guilty receive the reward of the innocent. And Paul told Corinth, He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, Jesus who deserved life for His obedience willingly, willingly received death for our disobedience. And we who deserve death for our disobedience receive life for Christ's obedience. He takes our punishment and we receive His reward. And in verse 15, Paul says, that message, that message is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. Because the only way any sinner can be forgiven and receive that reward is if they go into eternity believing that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners like them. And don't forget about the resurrection. One of the greatest parts of the cross and resurrection isn't just our sins being forgiven. It's being set free from the sin that held us captive, that we couldn't escape. And through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, when we're reborn, it sets us free. Loved one, you do not have to be captive to sin. The Lord will set you free. That's the power of the resurrection. Death nor sin can overcome us. Not us who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 17, 
And Paul's, he probably didn't say it like this, but this is how I would say it. Hey, let's conclude by just chewing on some theology about God for a moment. Because this theology should and will produce a grateful heart. And Paul says, consider this. The eternal king, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming a servant. The immortal Son of God became mortal flesh. The invisible God became visible and dwelt among us. The radiance of God, who all things were made through and for, came into the world. Why? To save sinners like us. And that's a good and wonderful starting point for cultivating a heart of worship. Let us pray. Well, Heavenly Father, God, you in, in, in Ephesians tell us that even before the creation, Lord, you chose us. And, and, and Christ redeemed us. And the Spirit gives us life. And that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. God, I pray that the message that Paul says is trustworthy and full, fully deserving of acceptance, that Your Son came into this world to die for sinners, God, wouldn't just remain in our mind, but would filter through our heart and result in worship, would result in faithfulness and obedience, God, and even a joy that we would go out into this world and say, yeah, I know that looks amazing, but let me show you something that's even more amazing. And lead them to the knowledge of saving faith in Christ Jesus and the worship of the true and living only God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.